Anyone here ever climbed a mountain? Who's climbed a mountain? Who can tell me? What have you climbed? Snowden. Anyone else climbed Mount Snowden in Wales? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few I can't pronounce it either, so don't worry. That's right. Anyone climbed a different mountain? Oh, that's, that's, that's kind of like a bit like, oh, look at me. Hey, Kilimanjaro. You know, I've never climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, but I've got a friend who's climbed Mount Kilimanjaro because that's pretty high. Anyone, be, anyone do Everest? <laughs> kind of like that's about the only any, A different one, maybe? Anyone else climbed a mountain? <laughs> You've climbed a mountain, George. Really? Which one? Oh, the one in Hong Kong Island that we've been in. Oh, right, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that was a mountain. I hate to tell you that, but never mind. And Steve, did you see you climbed a mountain? You've done Ben Nevis, so the tallest, the tallest mountain in Britain. What about you, Barnaby? Say that again. Ah, and where's that? I know where it is. New Zealand, well done. Did you climb it with your mum or your dad? Both, very impressive. And, and if not, did, when you were climbing it, did you mourn at all? No. No, no, not like it's, it's hard to go up all, these, all this way and everything like that. And of course, it's great to climb mountains, isn't it? And also, we, we don't just climb physical mountains in life, do we? No, we have some problem at school that feels like a really big thing, like it's climbing a mountain. Or we have a, we have a health scare. Or we have this fear that we don't seem to be able to get over. And kind of like when you climb a mountain or hike up a mountain, it's important to have the right equipment, isn't it? You know, it's important to have the right footwear. You know, these are my trusted boots. They look a bit battered. They look a bit dirty. But you know what? I wish I had them in Hong Kong. Because I I'd bought some new ones and I thought that I'd have worn them in enough. And I hadn't. And all of a sudden my feet started to swell. And, and that sort of thing. It's important to have the right, right footwear. It's important to have the right clothing, isn't it? That you kind of don't overheat, but you don't get too, too cold. It's important to have the right fuel, isn't it? You know, the important to have, have some nuts or some, some protein. As somebody said to me at the previous service, Kendall mint cake is quite good. But you, some of you are thinking, what on earth is Kendall mint cake? It's important to have the right drinks with us as well. And then it's important to have some of the right equipment. We might need a torch. We might need some first aid. I needed this bandage while I was away, and I kept having to put this bandage on my left ankle to stop it from swelling up. But most of all, perhaps, the most important thing we need is we need a map. We need a guide that will help us to climb up the mountain, but also get back down again. Because it's not just about climbing to the top, is it? It's about getting back down. And often, going down can be more difficult than going up. 
You know, in the Bible, some of the most famous stories, let's think about this for a moment, some of the most famous stories, come on, tell me some of the most famous stories that you know in the Bible that occurred on mountains between God and people. Let's see what we can do. Who can tell me one? Come on. Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb where, where Moses has these special times with God on more than one occasion. There's one. Who can tell me a different one? The Transfiguration Mount Tabor where, where three of the disciples see Jesus like looking like God in all his glory. What about another one? Anyone? Pardon? Yes. What was the mountain called? You can't remember. Don't, don't worry. Well, yeah, yeah. Genesis 22, that, that, that story there. Mount Moriah. There we go. It came eventually, a little bit late, but it got there. One more gone? Yes, the Ten Commandments on, on Mount Sinai. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Harry, that's brilliant. Hey, one more. Anyone give me another one? Mount Carmel, yeah, just about my, one of my most famous stories in the Bible where God speaks through Elijah to defeat them. What was that one? Was, no, yes, very good. Mount Ararat, where God promises no more not to be like the gods. That's very good. Or behave like the gods. Of course, we might want to think of the Mount of Olives the night before Jesus died or the hill in the city of Jerusalem where Jesus died. But it isn't just like mountains. You're really, really good this morning. I can see you've been practicing while I've been away. And you've, you're really good on the mountains. But it's not just stories in the Bible that have mountains. You know, sometimes when I read a book in the Bible, because that's what the Bible is, it's a series of books, I'm thinking, it's like, feels like I'm climbing up and down a mountain. Because it feels quite, quite difficult. It's why when you came in, you would have been given one of these. Because this is the image of a mountain to try and explain something of the book of Romans. And each week as we come into church in this series that we're going to be looking at over the next few months, we're going to be looking at where are we on the mountain? What does it teach us about how to make sense of life? And what we find this morning, if you like, is we find our root through the mountain. We're going to begin at this place called Base Camp. You know, right at the beginning. And as we look at this book, and as Lewis read it for us, basically, we're going to be able to understand, hopefully, as we go through our service, a bit about what it means to understand what this book means. But before we do that, we're, we're going to sing. You know, um, you could have another job, Sally, here, couldn't you? She was quite good with that first song, wasn't she? Very good, very good. There we go. I sh it's just the puppet in me, you know, that just says those things, you know. <laughs> Shall we stand together and we're going to sing? Thanks, Sally. Right, let's play a guessing game. Right, I'm thinking of a city. You've got to guess the city. Oh, we've got some guesses already. What do we think? London? No, I'm not thinking of London, but I am thinking of the city that was called the Eternal City. Oh, oh. what do we think? Uh, go. Well, of course, it might be Jerusalem, and 
Some weeks it would be Jerusalem, but it's not Jerusalem. I am thinking of the most populated city. So the, peop- the city with the most people in the first century. What do you think, Barnaby? Pardon? Well, I tell you what, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> Have you been watching The Wizard of Oz? Ah, there we go. So, so it's not Jerusalem. It's not London. It's not Kansas. What might I be thinking of? Go on. I am. I'm thinking of Rome. Anyone ever been to Rome? Who's been to Rome? Barnaby, you went to Rome, didn't you? What did you think of Rome? Yeah, 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 yeah. That wasn't what I was told that you said, but never mind. Um, <laughs> I've been to Rome. Lots of people have been to Rome. You know, Rome, you know, was on everyone's bucket list in the first century. Everyone wanted to go to Rome. You know, to understand how popular Rome was, you know, it took another count with me. It took not seven years, it took 700 years for any other city in the world to be as big and as populous as Rome. That shows how big Rome was in, in those days. And you know, if, we, if, we, if you go and visit Rome, why do we go and visit Rome today? Why do we go? Go on. Pardon? To get to places, yeah. Why else might we visit Rome today? Why would you go to Rome? Pardon? For Vatican City, yeah, yeah. If you're a good Catholic, you might go there. Why else would you go to Rome? To look at ruins. Because still, if you like, 2,000 years later, you see all these big ruins. And you imagine what it would have been like. And you know, there was this man called Paul. And Paul, too, wanted to go to Rome. He didn't want to go as a tourist, if you like, to see what everyone else was doing and to see the, see the ruins. He wanted to bring a message. He wanted to bring a message. And so he wanted to go to Rome. The only problem was he couldn't get there. So what he did was he sent someone with a letter a letter that would have looked like this. Lewis and, and, and Clara, Clarabella, do you want to come and just hold this for me a minute? You see, this is what the letter would have looked like. If you hold that side, and Lewis, if you hold that side for me, because we're, we're, we're going to read it in a minute. But just hold it there for a moment. See, that's what this letter would have looked like. And he wanted to write this letter to some Christians. These Christians, there would have been, if you think the population was one million, there was about 200 Christians. There wasn't a lot of them. And they used to meet in, in, in homes, in, in houses. They didn't have any big buildings like this. And this letter would have come, if you like, in secret. So it would have been hidden. And it probably came through a woman called Phoebe. And she would have probably been doing something else there. She might have been going to visit on holiday. I don't think so. She would have probably been going to do some work there. And she would have taken this letter 
in the form of a scroll. And she was going to read it to the, to the churches there who were meeting in secret. Because it wasn't always a good idea to meet in public as a Christian in those days. And what we find, if you like, this is like we're here at base camp. And what we find in these few verses at the beginning is, if you like, our route up the mountain that we see on our cards. And it's these verses here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith. Thank you for holding that. I'm just going to... You see, if you want to understand the book of Romans, you only understand this book if you understand those two verses. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. You see, what was the message? You see, it wasn't about what, it's about who. It's about Jesus. And in particular, the Easter story that Jesus died and rose again and became the king of the world. Try saying that in the place where the most powerful man in the world lived on the throne as the king. And you're then saying Jesus is the king of the world because of the Easter story. And it's also, it's a powerful message. It's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. In other words, what he's saying, and as, this, as we unravel the scroll more, as we'll, we'll see each week, it's sort of like this message saves you. Saves you from something, our sin and rebellion against God. But it also saves us for something, to live the life that Jesus modeled. And it also, there's something as well, one other thing. You know, if God said it, it's true. In other words, that's what the righteousness of God means. It, it's there's an assurance that you know. You can be absolutely sure that if God said it, then it's true. And that's the message, very simply, that runs through this book. But just as I finish, I want to finish with those first five words. For I am not ashamed. For I am not ashamed. You know, think about that for a minute. Why would, why would Paul be ashamed? You know, why would he be ashamed? Why would he feel shame in this message? You see, here's what I think was going on in his life. He was going to this place that had everything. You know, if you lived in Rome, if you weren't a slave, you had success. You had power, you had money, you had celebrity status, you were famous. And he was, he was going to this place and he's wondering, is Jesus enough for them? Is the message that I'm going to bring enough for those people who've got all this glamorous alternative? And he's trying to think, is this right? And then he remembered his own story. You know, we don't need much to know much of the Bible to know Paul's story. This man who was just bent on, quite simply, attacking Christians, hurting them. And then his life had been transformed because he saw the living, risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it changed his life. And he'd seen the power there 
of what it had done in his life, and he knew it, what, it would be enough. But it got me thinking, and it got me thinking about this. How confident am I? How confident are you in this message? In this message that Jesus died and rose again and is the king of the world, how confident are you and I to say that message out loud? Where we live, in this place that has so much. And why might we be ashamed of it? And I thought, well, maybe sometimes we get scared, don't we? We get scared about talking about Jesus. Maybe you don't as kids, but I tell you as adults, we do. We get scared about maybe talking about it because, like you saw, did you see the 20-year-old busker this week on the streets of London? Anyone see that? Singing, singing Christian songs and got stopped by the police for saying, you can't sing Christian songs outside of church. A complete and utter lie. Because the world won't want you to say it. So we fear it. Sometimes we feel uncomfortable, don't we? By what it might, by what those words might, might be. Because people might not like what we have to say. Or we look at them a mirror in our own lives and we think, oh, that's not the same as my life. And sometimes I wonder, is it enough? Are you ever like that? You think, you know, these people have everything. Is Jesus really enough? And that's when I think of Paul. And that's when I think of the, the compelling message that what he would be saying to us is that Jesus is enough. Jesus died and rose again as the king of the world is the true message that needs to be spoken about in our offices in St. Helier, in our schools and in our playgrounds, in our parish hall and our state's chamber, on our building sites, in our farming communities, in our homes. He's enough. If you like, what we're going to try and do with this, this book over the coming weeks is it's a bit like if you can imagine it, and it's gone missing. But I'll find it in a minute. We'll use the chili flakes instead. Anywhere and ever bitten into a chili pepper? You know, we look at a chili pepper, don't we, and it looks just ordinary, doesn't it? And cold, but if you bite into a chili pepper, it's a bit like when you put a load of chili flakes in your mouth. It kind of brings this burning fire. And as we look through this series, maybe what we'll see is as we take hold of this message, we'll see the power of God in the gospel of God. Shall we pray together?